coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss reopen domains, shut the front door. Next up, U.S. government hopes to codify nation-state fast food fishing campaigns. And finally, our 17th round of Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 45, recorded on April 27th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, the pun also rises, LaBelle, with me co-host, Chad, Pundiliumptious Anderson, and last but certainly not least, co-host Tarek, here's Ran and Malware, Sala. Welcome. Welcome, all. That was amazing. Thank you for nailing the uh, the chorus like that. Thank you. I really gave it my all. I'm going to be honest. I used all of my quarantine energy on your intros. That's how much I care for you, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right. Let's have some fun. On April 19th, this is according to Chad's diary, let it be known. Um, Chad, he speaks in the third person with his diary, which is a little strange, but we'll go with it. Uh, Chad came across a fantastic Reddit comment by a user named Dr. Midnight that detailed how they suspected that a number of state-based reopen domains like ReopenMN for Minnesota or ReopenMD for Maryland.com domains were all registered on GoDaddy at the same time and within seconds of each other. This led them to suspect that the Reopen America protests were not a grassroots campaign, but actually a coordinated astroturfing or fake grassroots effort. Being that infrastructure intelligence is uh, something that Chad and uh, Tarek and our company dig into all the time, Chad continued to have some fun and investigate. So Chad, 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 on this episodes of Domains of Our Lives, you are the beholder of all things domain. Can you talk us through your first step after you came across this Reddit comment? Um, yeah, I uh, so I immediately felt that they, so they were kind of split into two sects. There was one that was um, the April 8th domains that were registered initially with GoDaddy. And then there were the ones that were registered a bit later that were attributed to someone in Florida who hadn't turned on domain privacy, um, Mr. Murphy. Um, but I immediately felt the domains that were registered earlier and the ones that were registered in Florida, that they had to be different, just in that the um, the earlier domains were redirecting to something. And if you were going to buy in bulk, um, there was no reason you know, not to do it all at once, if that's what you were planning. So it just seemed um, you know, that they were split uh, immediately. And then so I went and noticed that the earlier domains um, that were being pumped on Facebook groups uh, all led back to these gun rights organizations, and they all had a very similar aesthetic structure to the page. Uh, when I looked further, they were all running, you know, WordPress with um, a lot of the same plugins and kind of everything was uh, looking identical. Um, but I wasn't able to really, outside of aesthetics, tie it all together. So I decided to go and look through um, a lot more uh, infrastructure data and kind of the thing that brought it all together in the end was SSL certificates that showed that they were all hosted in the same place. Ah, uh, yes, SSL, it brings us all together. Well done, Chad. <laughs> and although this podcast isn't scripted, your research was. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about how you automated some of your work here and what you accomplished? 
Yeah, I, so I have a number of little scripts that I use all the time. They're really more just shell aliases that pull things down and help me to glue together um, pieces of information or, or distill down or extract things that I care about. Um, there's services that do this, but um, I have no reason to pay someone for those things. So uh, this the scripts that I have uh, that I ran this through, it pulled the data off all the sites, like the, the index page, you know, um, as well as all the artifacts like JavaScript and whatnot. Um, and then it kicks off scans um, for any domains that it finds on the page elsewhere, pulls those results, collates it all. Um, and then uh, it looks through all of those pulled results and grabs out any unique URLs, which kind of gives me a little picture of what things are linking to. Um, and, you know, it's a quick way to tell that some of the structure on the page is similar. Excellent. So at this point, you're sitting pretty. You've got some major batches of domains after running the script, it sounds like. So uh, I want to work through our conversation like your actual research. And of course, this is linked in the in our um, our show notes. So feel free to dig in. There's some great visuals in there that might help supplement this conversation as well. So let's start with key conclusions from what you sort of labeled batch number one. And I know you're really committed to going down the rabbit hole um, with door-related assets, although I'm a little upset that there was not a single the doors reference um even tell all the people that would have been that would have been a simple win there chat but I'll, I'll let you get away with it this time yeah never got into the doors you know 60s music it's just never really really my thing um <sighs> shame shame shame, shame. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I was raised by people of the 80s you know it was all 80s club music shoulder pads that's what we're into in our family <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, the first batch of domains, the early ones were, um, what ended up being traced back to Aaron door. And this has been talked about a lot in the media and him and his uh, brothers do, uh, this kind of, um, campaigning his personal website says that he has battle tested tools for grassroots activists. Um, and they've been doing this since 2007, I think was the earliest domain that I found, um, they had registered uh, and they kind of, you know, they, they have all these things set up and they publish all the content and it pushes out and it's all templated and all of this. Um, you know, most of the domains though, that they've done, um, in the last 10 years or so have been all registered with privacy. Um, so they were a little harder to tie together. And that's where I was talking about the Cloudflare SNI certificates, which is the server name indicator certificates. Um, it shows that all those domains are hosted on the same server. Um, and it revealed a bunch of other domains that they had. Um, and that was kind of the, the key to fleshing out the entirety of their, their network. And then from there, um, you know, some data from historical who is records gave me some old email addresses that then spidered out to more things and was able to kind of get a picture of, um, how it was all set up. Absolutely. A lot of shiny objects to chase after there. It sounds like you found a, a lot of really cool connections. Yep. Um, another conversation around this general story of the doors um, is all these Facebook groups that have been spun up. And I'm just curious how these Facebook groups connect to the domains. What's the value of having that infrastructure set up there? Yeah, so we didn't go super far down the social media thing since it's not really our cup of tea, um, but some other companies did. Um, and they ended up in, you know, ABC, NBC published some great work showing that the Door Brothers had kind of set up all of these localized looking Facebook groups um, that then pumped the reopened domains, which then went to, um, you know, their action pages that had uh, that were on their gun ownership websites like the you know gun club sites. And then those all had a big donate book at the bottom of them. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of money motivating people. I, 
Yeah. That doesn't, yeah. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, what do you think? Do you think there's more behind their motivations than just like cartoon cash money eyes or something else happening there? So that's the uh, that's the funny thing. There's a ton of anti door brother Facebook groups um, that are they've apparently pissed off other gun rights owners. Um, and a lot of those people feel that the door brothers in their lobbying because um, they are registered lobbyists, uh, or at least Aaron Door is in Iowa, um, that some of his he's lobbied against gun rights um, and then pumped news on his site that was sensationalized to then drive traffic and make some money through donations. So I think this is kind of like a, um, you know, just a, it's a way to make money. It's a, you know, profit off of the uh, um, people's hysteria. Yeah. Seems to be the theme of, I don't know, the last like six weeks of our podcast. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like new here to report Um, just a different way to do it. Well, (laughs) Moving away from that, let's let's talk a little bit about the second batch. Um, it's really hard not to make a cookie joke there because I, I think I must be hungry or something, but we'll move past that. So <laughs> what can you tell us about the second set of domains that you highlighted in the blog? Yeah, so this is where it, they were a little less um, connected, but uh, they kind of all had some theme behind them. One was definitely like a domainer that was just squatting. Um, another was a looked like a potential phishing campaign. Um other were just small time folks setting up domains, um, you know, alongside that activist in Florida who registered dozens of domains, Mr. Murphy, to keep them out of the hands of extremists. Um, the second batch just keeps growing, you know, with uh, now there's more and more domains um, being registered every day. And speaking of that, I know you just you just scan these lists of domains and you've been keeping quite a close eye on coronavirus themed domains specifically. Outside of seeing this trend and using reopen, what are some other trends that you've seen here or trends that are even related to this particular topic? Yeah, so with the reopen domains alone, um, you know, this weekend there were an additional 500 registered. So we're now up to over a thousand new reopen domains um, since the first ones that uh, Aaron Doerr registered on April 8th. So these terms are definitely trending upward along with liberate um, pretty much anything that the president tweets. Um, is going to spawn a slew of um, garbage domains. You know, it's kind of just the way of things now. Yeah, people are very quick to register domains when keywords come up, it appears. Um, And I think even in one of the batches that you mentioned, there was a domainer that was going through and purchasing some stuff um, from what I remember. So I guess, but let's get to the real question here, which is really how concerned should we be? And there's concern as a security practitioner and then there's the the humanity that concern how are you feeling about all that what's the impact here yeah my you know my main concern is definitely public health um every side of the political spectrum is now doing these campaigns there's so many platforms and easy ways to set up um to pump your message you know and in this as this shows is that just one person can sway thousands of people to um, get outside and uh, go infect everyone with coronavirus. Um, like the protests here in Olympia, Washington, um, you know, we're based in Seattle, um, had over 3,000 people at it. So we'll see in the next week how many of those people come down with symptoms and and what kind of uh, overwhelming of the hospitals that does. So that that's my main concern is the public health one. I think we'll always see people leveraging some sort of 
platform now, um, particularly in our like post-truth era, um, to like get some sort of message out, whether or not it's uh, true or not, or a good idea or not. I feel like all those REI uh, opt-out campaigns um, are, are not opt-out, <laughs> uh, opt-outside. Oh, yeah. Finally backfired, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> opt-inside. It's kind of funny watching Hulu and they'll play, uh, they have an ad for Washington State saying, please stay inside. And it's like, I'm doing it. I'm a hero. Here I am watching Hulu. You're yeah. targeting the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the hoodie ratings here. I'm going to start with you, Tarek. How how concerned are you on a scale of zero to ten hoodies? Well, I, you know, first off, I'm a little bit biased because uh, I think that everything that Chad really does on a research level is always really fun and fascinating to read. So I'm going to obviously be uh, tilting towards like a ten out of ten for that, uh, just because of like the the entertainment and like how well written it is. Um, or, and when I say entertainment, I'm talking about from like a research perspective. It's always really fascinating to see, um, you know, these kind of campaigns go out and the attribution involved. Um, but like really like the 10 would also imply like the health implications. Like, I mean, um, you know, Chad talked about the protest having over 3000 people at an Olympia, um, you know, with what we know about COVID-19 that uh, uh, on a mortality statistic level, I mean, could we have one out of those 3,000 people pass away from the, the virus? Uh, you know, statistically, yeah, that's probable. Uh, so one could even say that this campaign is correlated with actual human deaths if that was the case, which, I mean, I, you know, I would give this a solid 10 out of 10 based on that alone. A great point. And I would agree. Um, both of you are fantastic with research. All of that you produce is very entertaining. Per evidence, my Twitter feed. That is mostly, again, being your hype woman. Um, <laughs> Chad, what do you think? Um, you know, I would do I would do the same rating, the 10 out of 10, but I would remove the hoodie and sew it into a face mask um, for my own safety because I'm probably going to have to interact <laughs> with some of these people at some point. <laughs> Can you wear a hoodie backwards and then just, you know, cut eye holes and that's a face mask? Does that according, work? Yeah, according to CDC, a hoodie should be uh, sufficient for face mask material. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> This is wonderful. Very educational, gentlemen. That's very helpful to note. Um, well played. Well played. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, let's zoom in to our next topic. U.S. government hopes to codify nation-state fast food fishing campaigns. So more than a dozen state-backed hacking groups are actively targeting U.S. government employees and healthcare organizations and fishing campaigns that use lures designed to take advantage of fears surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, onward to our typical theme here now. <laughs> so Tarek uh, Tag, a.k.a. Google's Threat Analysis Group, has given us some fast food for thought, if you will. So let's start by figuring out and talking about what Tag identified. What, what types of examples did they identify in terms of baiting users with COVID-19-themed messages? Yeah, so I think it's really... Uh... I think this data released by uh, Google's threat uh, analysis group is really fascinating because it's validating a lot of what we're seeing. So on a domain level, we're seeing all of these really, and you know, with COVID lock too, but we're seeing this whole spectrum of different uh, coronavirus COVID-19 uh, phrasing right on the domain level. And now we have uh, Google's tag that's coming in and backing it up with um, some really fascinating uh, data on like an email uh, phishing uh, and malware campaign level. 
Um, so we're seeing the whole spectrum here. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, as you mentioned about fast food. So we're seeing uh, lures that are kind of masquerading as, uh, you know, fast food options um, in conjunction with the COVID-19 uh, wording. So, for example, that would be um, phishing email attacks that are, um, you know, telling the victim, hey, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, you can order fast food online with these kind of delivery options. Click here for more information. So, like, upon initial glance, like a casual reader would you know, take a look at this email and probably, you know, flag it as legitimate or harmless. Uh, because, you know, one of the one of the staples and watermarks of any kind of phishing attack is right out of the gate, hey, give me your, you know, credentials or give me your credit card on some financial level, right? And uh, so what's interesting here is that we're getting a lot of validation from Google on the whole spectrum of attacks. Um, and that's the lower, the, the lower end and is more like those fast food approaches. Uh, lower end meaning like less um, sophisticated, uh, kind of novel in a way. Uh, and the high end being um, these phishing and malware attacks that are masquerading as health organizations. Those ones are a lot more high impact where they're masquerading as a health organization uh, to like everyday citizens. Um, we saw that with Azerbaijan last week um, or um, attacking health organizations um, with different lures too. So Google did a good job of uh, kind of covering the whole spectrum there. Ah, uh, yes. A fish sandwich theme, I hope, came up at least once. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I was Googling fish sandwiches for fast food. Not an entirely appetizing exercise. I would not recommend that Googling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but did Tag quantify how many phishing and malware Gmail messages they seen per day for a scale? Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is that... Um, uh, Google came out and said there was um, approximately uh, 18 million malicious emails a day uh, that they've detected uh, meeting the criteria of COVID-19 or coronavirus uh, in conjunction with what they use for their detection platform to flag something as uh, malware or something as phishing. Um, so doing the math there, that's uh, and I stink at math, so I'm not going to even attempt it, but that's a lot of emails, uh, 18 million a day. Um, you know, adding that up over the course of a week, I think it's really validating what we're seeing on a domain level too, in terms of the weaponization of these uh, uh, registered uh, potentially malicious domains. Yeah, that is that is nothing to sneeze at right there. Um, <laughs> so I, I know there was some fun stuff that was a bit more notable campaign-wise, according to Tag. Was there anything that intrigued you or entertained you there? Yeah, um, so I am always fascinated to see how, uh, you know, advanced uh, threat groups like, um, you know, in this case, Charming Kitten, uh, which is associated with Iranian uh, Islamic uh, Revolutionary Guard, the uh, IRGC, um, how these advanced threat groups can kind of take advantage of the situation as well, the um, you know, uh, and based off of like the current pandemic trends with phishing and attacks and really kind of slip in um, their more sophisticated attacks into the, the general spectrum and the general huge noise uh, of all COVID-related cyber attacks. And that's what Google was able to, to actually um, uh, kind of uh, filter out there. And so Charming Kitten is really interesting. Um, their TTPs aren't really necessarily associated with anything uh, specifically advanced. Uh, like they're not really associated with crafting their own zero days or their own 
you know, really sophisticated multi-stage malware. Uh, but they're really associated with like the common pattern of phishing and account hijacking, uh, which let's not uh, let's not um, you know uh, undermine how successful and how much of an impact those can be if you get the right accounts. Uh, so it's interesting that according to Google, Charming Kit was detected in all of this noise, uh, conducting phishing attacks uh, against international health organizations like the WHO, uh, specifically around COVID nineteen. And so you know while we don't have explicit goals and motives necessarily, we can kind of glean their purpose here for targeting the WHO, which would be to, you know, conduct account hijacking in conjunction with phishing to really kind of just gain an extra foothold inside of their network or inside of uh, any kind of WHO resources to do, you know, espionage level uh, leaking of data or getting access to more sensitive data. Uh, what that might, what that kind of data may be um, and how it can benefit uh, Iran. I'm not really, uh, really clear on specifically, but I think we can kind of assume that that kind of data can be used uh, for nefarious purposes. Yeah, well said. And just tagging on to that comment, no pun intended, what are some other examples you'd like to share from the research? I know there was just so much meat in here. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think the lore uh, spectrum is really interesting here from what Google kind of bubbled up. Uh, you know, we have some stuff that can be kind of funny to talk about, like, you know, uh, a fishing lure being a, you know, a free, like fast food coupon for like a, you know, like a Big Mac or something. Uh, that's kind of funny, but also at the same time, it's really sad too. It's really, it's really sad that, you know, attackers are doing uh, everything they can and trying every angle possible here to compromise people. Uh, by really by really taking advantage of the you know the current pandemic, um, uh, even with fast food, you know, um, you know there are certain you know cities and counties across the country that uh, you know their food banks are in kind of a dire situation, and um, that's really really sad to hear. And so you know, if these attackers get unfortunately lucky by you know compromising somebody who's in one of those situations where they you know, have to wait like over, you know, their cars are backed up for over a mile to these food banks. I mean, there might be a, a greater chance and likelihood of these victims being compromised by it. And that's just really unfortunate and sad. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, just hitting people where it hurts again and again. There's no relief from that, it seems, at current time. Um, I guess, what do you have any advice, especially when it comes to international and national health organizations who now have a huge target on their back and potentially even just user people that want to have fast food, right? Like, do you have any advice for these specific organizations to stay safe? Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, number one, um, I think we've hopefully reached the day and age where convincing organizations to spend money and resources on establishing a strong security program. Uh, we shouldn't have to you know, bends uh, an organization's arm too hard on that. That should be pretty straightforward and there should be a lot of value add there. Um, but like more explicitly, there are two areas where, you know, everybody uh, from organizations all the way down to individual users can do to protect themselves against these kind of, you know, attacks. And number one, there's the whole, um, you know, if you don't trust the email, don't open it aspect of phishing, right? I mean, we've, um, that's kind of been talked about over and over again, but there's other two really quick wins, and that's number one, implementing 2FA. Um, the unfortunate part is that I think some of the victims here um, might have more of a challenging time implementing 2FA. So if you're technically savvy and you can help out uh, 
you know, people that maybe aren't uh, to set up 2FA, I'd highly recommend, you know, giving your technical services to doing that. Help help people out and implement 2FA because um, there are times when these passwords are going to be exposed, but if they don't have that other means of authentication, they're not going to actually be able to do any damages. So 2FA is critical to have here. Um, and lastly, getting your, getting yourself a strong, like, anti-malware solution is always a, a good win. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, if budgets are tight, Microsoft uh, uh, Windows Defender is free and uh, is really strongly supported and surprisingly really effective. So, you know, if there are those individuals that do fall uh, for some of these, you know, malicious documents or, you know, uh, booby-trapped, uh, you know, PDFs and whatnot, um, there's a good chance or a decent chance that if it makes it that far, the defender can pick that up and, um, you know, block it from executing. So these are little tiny quick wins that people can do. Thanks, Tark. That's helpful. And I'd just like to pick your brain for a final question here, which is, do you have any predictions around these themed attacks with coronavirus and these these trends? What does that look like moving forward? Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, for the past couple of weeks that we've all been kind of analyzing these uh, COVID-19 related cyber attacks is that attackers are really trying anything and everything they can. I I think it's really akin to uh, people throwing darts at a dartboard and seeing what really hits uh, and seeing what's successful. Um, I don't I don't have a specific prediction in the sense that, oh, attackers are going to be shifting towards this or that. Um, I think they're going to continue throwing everything they can into uh, multiple directions and try different angles uh, to, you know, go ahead and compromise people. Um, so it would be literally all of the above if I had to say. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tarek, for uh, your predictions there. And I think probably a good ending spot to segue into our hoodie rating. So, Chad, I'm going to start with you for this particular set of campaigns or what TAG was covering, how concerned should folks be? Yeah, you know, I think this um, this falls in line with a lot of the other, um, you know, email based, all the phishing campaigns that we see. Um, it's effective, um, but it's not particularly scary, I think, you know, and that like it's not like, oh, no, you got to run and patch your servers. But like it's just going to keep happening. And this is just the next iteration of it. Um, what really rubs me the wrong way is that like Tark said, you know, with these fast food lures, it's targeting people who um, are already, you know, uh, struggling. And that just always drives me nuts. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it at like six out of 10, like I do for most of the fishing stuff. But uh, you know, this one probably pisses me off a little more than usual. That's a new scale that I would like to implement. How much did you piss Chad off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, anything that targets the, you know, the people who are already struggling drives me just bonkers. I don't know why um, it, it, it's, makes it that much worse yeah well apparently it'll be on a scale of 60s to 80s shoulder pad music um as we learned earlier in this podcast is how we shall rate your pleasure and displeasure um Tarek, what would you rate this at i'm gonna uh give this one an eight out of ten because what we have here are we have attackers that are just taking the shotgun approach uh using uh, coronavirus and covid19 as their you know part of their luring mechanism for uh, you know, compromising victims. And, you know, some of those pellets are going to hit, are going to hit their target. Um, and uh, we can't necessarily quantify some of those damages, but we just know that people and organizations are getting compromised. 
Um, you know, there are things like ransomware that's involved as like the next stage for some of these attacks. Uh, like we've seen Ryukin Maze ransomware becoming a little bit hot lately, uh, targeting specifically like medical institutions. And really, um, you know, it's just, uh, I, I would give it a solid eight out of 10. Could even be higher too, because it's tough to quantify the impact at this point. Um, you know, the impact could be like human lives. Uh, if you hit a, a, a hospital or an organization that's treating people and you get them at a time when the resources are running really thin. So yeah, it's pretty bad. I give it an eight out of 10. Thank you both for your insight today. Lots of great ground covered there. Really appreciate it. And now it's time to move into our game. Two truths and one lie. So yeah, let's lighten it up. <laughs> let's light with a focus on lie. Was that a pun, Tark? Eh? Hey. <laughs> yeah, can we All actually, right. can we next week cover completely inconsequential things so we can have like hoodie ratings zero out of 10? Like maybe something happy? Yeah, something yeah. Happy. I think we should both pick a story about puppies. Um, <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about. If you don't find, I want to find an article about how they're teaching puppies to defend medical organizations and promote 2FA. That would be adorable. Can someone do that so we can have a piece yeah. written about it? <laughs> I want to find someone fishing puppies um, to get them fishing to do things. Fishing puppies. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Oh, gosh. That gave me pause. All right. Uh, fun. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, Chad. Woof. Hmm. He's just going to continue to say it. <laughs> All righty. Here are your three articles, two of which are true, one of which is a lie. And Chad and Tarek, or Charik, if you will, are both going to guess. If I trick any of them, I shall get a point per trick. And if they sniff out my lie, they'll get a point. And we have a continuous board on the show notes here. So here we go. Are you two ready? Born ready. So weird. All right. Here we go. Here's the first one. Charming kitten hackers impersonate journalists in phishing attacks. That is number one. Number two. Two-year-long phishing campaign impersonates Canadian banks. This is my serious voice, by the way. So, there you go. Number three. Ransomware locks medical records at Outagami County Health Care Center. All right. Anybody want to guess here what's going on? What's true? What's not? Hmm. I'm going to go with the... Hmm. I'm going to go with the last one. Same. I'm on the uh, I'm on the ransomware game. I haven't heard that one, so uh, I'm guessing that it's a lie. <laughs> I smell it the lie from It only counts if you say it like that. Lie. Devious lie. All right. Are you two ready? Let's hear the lie. You both get points and I don't. Dang it. Yes. It turns out Outagami is a county health center that was demolished in Wisconsin in 2001. That play is not working. Y'all know your ransomware. I know. You're so I, sneaky. I learned a lot about that town. I feel very connected to it after my research. Um <laughs> <laughs> All right, a point for both of you. I was really coming back up, too, when I was um, doing my calculations with the binary last time. I was like, all right, okay, we have us a game. And now, once again, uh, maybe I can brew some beer with my own tears. 
Wouldn't that be delicious? <laughs> All right, you two. Well, big thanks for today. Always really appreciate you having the podcast, being on the podcast here. And as we always say, don't drink and click, and we'll see you next week for an episode of Breaking Badness. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.